Boy, was that an awesome time of worship or what? Can you not? I mean, God's Word tells us that when two or three are gathered in His name, He is here with us, and it is so obvious and clear that Jesus was here, Jesus is here, that we are worshiping Him, and knowing that He is here in our presence is the best thing we can imagine. I just love that. It's like the old phrase, uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And there is beauty and comfort in that situation. I'm glad we're able to gather together this morning. Uh, I put together a message, actually kind of planned it weeks ago, and then worked on it early this week. And of course, things have been changing a lot day by day. But I decided to stick with this message because I think God's Word in this story that I want to look at with you together this morning has a lot of application to what we're going through and what we're dealing with. It's a story about three, I guess actually four young men who faced some difficult circumstances or situations, and it is a story that most of you probably are familiar with. The names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although they have other names as well, which let me just get started by showing you this. This is from Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says this, the, the book of Daniel begins like this. During the third year of King, Neb- or King Jehoiakim, his reign of Judah, God's people, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Now pause and look at that. God allowed the evil King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, to have victory over King Jehoiakim of his people of Judah and permitted Nebuchadnezzar to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Bottom line, nothing, including pandemics, gets to do what they want to do unless God allows it. God is in control, He is in charge, and what happens is something that He is ordaining, He is allowing. He didn't originate it, He didn't plan for it in the sense that He wanted it, but He is in charge and He allows what He chooses to allow, and He works through it as we'll look at in a minute. But look at this as it continues. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his god, false god. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they were to enter the royal service. So, in other words, he wants to use them for his own agenda. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, and this is where we get the more familiar names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Nazariah was called Abednego. Now, before we look at the rest of their story, what becomes more familiar and what I want us to dwell on this morning, let me tell you another story from about 200 years ago in the 19th century. 200 years ago sounds like a long time, but the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was about 2,000 years before that. But anyway, 200 years ago, a story that we've all heard, at least parts of and understand parts of it, 
uh, and I'm talking about the Civil War took place. During the days of the Civil War, Christians on both sides of the war, those on the north and those from the south, prayed for the safety of their fathers and their sons and their um, friends and their brothers and all of that, knowing that there was a, a strong possibility that they would never see them again, that they would die. In fact, not only die, but die at the hands of other brothers, maybe even their own brother, their friend, their cousin, you know, so forth. Presented quite a situation. Pastors from the north and pastors from the south, there were, it's not like one side of this was all Christian and the other side was all pagan. There were God-honoring, loving people on both sides. And pastors from both sides led their church families to pray that God would lead them to success. So the question became, whose side is God on? Well, Abraham Lincoln wisely offered a unique perspective. We don't have his exact words, but he said something to the effect of this. Rather than concern yourself with whether or not God is on your side, make every effort to make sure you are on God's side. Don't be so concerned about whether or not God is on your side. Make sure you are on His side. Many of history's most dangerous and destructive people have arrogantly assumed that God was on their side and that God supported their every action and agenda. But wise people are humble people. They don't assume, in fact, often don't even ask if God agrees with them. They just seek to make sure they agree with God and that they are walking in step with Him. Well, these three somewhat strangely named young men in our story lived this out. They aspired to make sure that they remained on God's side, even when, as you will see in the story, they were not guaranteed safety. They were not guaranteed success. And they sought not to worry so much about that, but to make sure they stayed on God's side. And that's where the story picks up. Today was going to be family service, so we were going to have all of our children and families in here, and I was going to have a bunch of children come up on stage with me. Uh, we won't do that today uh, in light of our situation. But um, kids, let, let me have you do this. If, if you're, let's say you're 10 years old or younger, 10, 9, 8, on down, would you raise your hand really loud? Or uh, really loud? <laughs> raise it loud. There we go. Anyway, you know what I mean. All right, so we see a bunch of kids in here. Some of you kids, I'm going to ask you a question maybe at a couple of different places in the message, so stay tuned. Well, back to our story here in Daniel chapter 3. Let me tell you this. First of all, chapter 2 was interesting. We'll kind of skip over that. Um, but in that chapter, Daniel, uh, God allows Daniel the power to tell King Nebuchadnezzar about a dream that he had. King Nebuchadnezzar had a crazy dream, and he wanted to know who could interpret it. But to make sure they didn't just make stuff up, he said, I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. I want somebody to tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. And all his, uh, you know, wise people were like, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. Well, God gave Daniel the ability to stand up and say, here was your dream, and here's what it meant. And as a result of that, uh, uh, they were promoted, Daniel and his three friends were promoted to a very special position. But shortly after that, the king seemed to forget about the power of God and who Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served and seemed to have a different perspective on that. Now, we're not told as our story begins where Daniel went. 
Uh, all we know is that in chapter 3, there's no mention of Daniel. He's not there. I don't know this, but I think maybe he was sent away on some special assignment. That's what many would say. But bottom line, this story is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were close friends of Daniel. This is in Daniel chapter 3. And I would like to just do this. I'd like to just read Daniel chapter 3 for you. The story speaks for itself. It is amazing, and there is great insight and perspective and lessons we can learn from it that we'll look at in just a moment. Here it is. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 90 feet tall. We were looking at this. You know, this is roughly maybe 25 feet or something. So we're talking maybe 30 feet. We're talking three times, maybe three and a half times the height of this whole room here. This is a massive statue that was built. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed him about the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed, 
in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Uh, Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel, maybe the fourth person, to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Is that a cool story or what? I mean, we we have often heard that, read that in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, such things as that. But this is not just a kid's story. This is a grown-up story, and I love it. There are some powerful things I want to show you and, and encourage you to look at as we go through this story. But as we do, I have a special young eight-year-old friend of mine. Where are you at, Jade? Oh, there she is. Would you come up here with me? Would you everybody welcome to the stage uh, my young friend, Jade? Okay, you can sit right there. So um, as, as, as she and I sit and talk a little bit about this, you're going to hear something really special from young Jade. But the first point, if you're filling in the blanks in your bulletin, um, you don't have one, do you? Where's your bulletin? (laughs) Just kidding. Oops, don't touch. Okay, sorry. Anyway, the first point is this. Number one, always remember God can use even suffering, even hard stuff in our life for good. Do you believe that? God can use hard stuff for good? Do you believe that? I believe that. Yeah, I believe that too. Okay. Well, this was probably, I would guess, the scariest, hardest thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever had to deal with, probably. I don't know that, but I would guess that. I mean, no one wants to get thrown into a fire, do you? No. Me neither. But God can use even scary things like what they just had to deal with for good. Well, Jade has memorized, and I want to, in fact, here, why don't you stand up here so you can use your hands as that, however you want. She has memorized something that she's going to share with us. First of all, let me just ask you, Jade, and you can tell everybody, why, or what are you going to recite for us? What are you going to say? 
Romans 5, 1 through 11, ESV. English Standard Version Bible. Now, why did you pick these, uh, this section of Scripture? When I saw that, that was the only verse that I thought would really mean a lot to me. And I really love the book of Romans. And so I decided that I should do Romans 5, 1 through 11. And it really just filled my heart and joy when, whenever I got my speech and read the first parts of it. Well, do you want to hear it? Let's hear it. By the way, um, is, it, is it appropriate or accurate to say you not only won your speech meet at your school, but then you got to go to a bigger speech meet and you won that and it was all of Colorado? Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's tell her congratulations. So here it is, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, ESV. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were so weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more now shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you so much. Jay, that was awesome. Everybody loved that. Um, I know that that verse, you told me when, when I heard you tell me this verse earlier in the week, you said this was like your life verse, right? T tell me about, or tell everybody what, why this is your life verse. This verse means to me that I've been, my, I've been through my sufferings for a lot of my life. But in my suffering, I learned that I had endurance that I didn't know I had. And my endurance comes from my Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. 
most people would think, well, she's only eight. How much could she have gone through? She has gone through some hard stuff. That's a whole other story. But she's gone through some difficult things. And she has learned not to just recite something, but to live this, to believe this. The faith of a child is a beautiful thing. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Um, Jay, do you have anything else you want to say just briefly um, to everybody about why you love this verse and why, why, what this means to you? Yeah, so like, when, when I first read this first verse, and when I read the whole thing, my, I rejoiced in happiness because God told me, this is the right one, Jade. This is what I want you to recite. Speak my words. And so I decided I will do it. And I decided that this means a really lot to me. So I tried my best. And I got to where the point that I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be able to get in to the next challenge. But when I heard my name be called, I was rejoicing with hope. And I felt like God just told them, please bring my little child in to this speech meet. She is the one that I really love. She brings the joy out to every person in here. And so I said my name and... I went on to the next challenge. I felt really, really good when I just went into the next challenge. And then when I got to Denver, I felt so rejoiced when they said my, for, when I got into first place, I was really, really happy. Hey, Jay. <laughs> so I don't have the whole thing memorized. I probably should, shouldn't I? <laughs> Do you think a pastor should know that same verse? Uh, no. Okay, I don't have to? Okay, thank you. I know part of it, but not the whole thing like that. But one of the, one of the middle sections, verses 2, 3, and 4, say, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not only in the glory of God, not only good things, but also we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces... And how did you do it? Perseverance, right? Or how? Did, no. No, no, sorry. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That's right. So amen to that. Everybody tell her thank you one more time. Jade, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, you've probably all heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, uh, or don't judge somebody based on their outward appearance, similar concept. 1 Samuel 16 tells us the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In that same way, what I think God is using young Jay to help all of us understand from Romans chapter 5, and as we'll also see it here in the story of Daniel chapter 3, is that in the same way, sometimes difficult circumstances, such as a pandemic, what a scary word, even that can be used by God Almighty to bring about good things. He promises us, and we'll look at this again later in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good 
for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. All things leaves out no things, and it leaves out nothing. So therefore, that includes pandemics. It includes the difficult things that young Jade has gone through in her life or whatever else we may face in life. God can use them for good because when we rejoice, as Paul said, in sufferings, we know that it produces, all right, do it like she did, produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. These things are connected. There are dots to connect there that are beautiful and that we need to trust God with. Anyway, I love that. Number two, if you're filling in the blanks, here you go. Another lesson to learn from this incredible story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this. Always. We need to always stay committed to truth. Somebody say always. Always to truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. And later in John 17, he said, and his word, God's word, is truth. Truth is so important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no to the king because he, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted them to to cave in against the truth and bow to the false lie of this false god being somebody to worship. And they said no because they knew it would go against God's truth. To do so would have broke the first two commandments uh, out of the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods before Him, no other idols. And if you stay committed to the truth, I think we need to understand this. If we stay committed to the truth, which is Jesus, the truth will stay committed to us. There is power in staying committed to the truth. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him. How? In truth. In truth. There is never anything to fear as long as we are with Jesus, as long as we are connected to the truth. What shall separate us? This is what we looked at in the sermon just a couple of weeks ago. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. He could have added words like fiery furnace, coronavirus, whatever. Nothing can separate us from His love. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been conquered by conquerors. But that verse tells us in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors because of who Jesus is. Greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear. That verses, those verses continued, For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, height nor depth, again, including fiery furnaces or coronaviruses or anything else, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. There is so much awesome truth in the Bible You know, the number one most repeated command in all of Scripture is in one form or another, it is do not be afraid, do not fear, fear not. If you put all those together, there are more of those, the more to that effect than any other command in Scripture. And in a world today that is filled with fear, we need to make sure that we stand on God's truth. He said He's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. Yeah, there are reasons to be concerned, but there's a big difference between being concerned and proactive and careful and being afraid. We do not have to be afraid. If you stay connected to the truth, the truth will set you free, Jesus said, free from fear and so much more. All right, number three would be always stay connected to others. We need each other. 
You know, social distancing, we've heard a lot of that phrase in the last week if you watch the news or listen to the radio. Social distancing is probably a good idea in many contexts because of this virus, but it's not a lifestyle. It's not our forever approach to things. We need one another. I, I need you. You need me. We need to be together. We need to do so cautiously and carefully, appropriately, but we need one another. In fact, let me ask you this. Um, look at the next slide, if you would. Um, move this on. All right, so I need a child in here to count. How many times do you see the word we or us on there? I made it easy. I underlined them. Somebody yell out. How many do you see? How many, Jade? Five. All right. If we look at that and then look at the next verse, how many more are there there? How many? Somebody else? Somebody? How many more are there? Two. So, all right. Somebody really good at math. I know it's a hard one. Five plus two is what? We got seven. Good job back there in the corner. We got seven times in that short little part of our story the word we or us showing us that by ourselves we are weak but together there is strength. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood together. That's why they used those words, we and us, seven times, because they were together strong. Divided we are weak, and we need to stand together. In 2019, last year, our theme as a church was better together. Because we are stronger together, Ecclesiastes 4 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We need one another. There is power in that within the right context, within the right kind of um, precautionary ways. We need to remember there is strength together. Number four, always trust God, even with the unknown. In fact, I would say especially with the unknown. Always Always trust God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were committed to truth and connected to each other, but they didn't know for sure what was going to happen. They had not heard the Sunday school lesson. They didn't know what was around the corner for them as things were happening. Just like we today do not know what is going to happen tomorrow or next month or whatever, we don't know. But they trusted God. They trusted God, and so should we. They said to the king, basically, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to stand, um, or we're not going to bow, I mean, we're going to stand together and not bow to your idol because that goes against the truth. And we know that God can save us. If you read that verse, they said, we believe God is going to save us, but even if He doesn't, we trust Him to do what is right. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and we trust in Him. We don't trust in you. Yes, you might be able to throw us in the fiery furnace. We think God's going to save us from that. But even if He doesn't, we know we have done the right thing because we're trusting in the one who's really in control, not you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture, says, trust in the Lord. If you know, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight or direct your paths. That is our God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought that God would save them from the fire, but they did not know for sure. He did not tell them. They didn't have a Batman hotline to say for sure what was going to happen. Now, if they had somehow known for sure, 
then I guess it would have been even easier for them to stand strong against the king and to trust the Lord and not to bow down. But I don't know if I would even really call that trust. If you know for sure absolutely what's going to happen, then you can't really say you're trusting to go that way. You just know what's going to happen. That's different. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what was right because they chose to trust, not even knowing for sure what was going to happen. We need to do the same. Trust God even though the road ahead of us may be uncertain and we're not sure what's going to happen. We trust God anyway. He will make our paths straight. He will bring good out of every situation, including whatever we face. Number five, number five, always remember who is with you. Always remember who is with you. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, they were not alone. Now, this is an amazing part of that story. The Lord was with them. There were four people in the fire. The pagan king saw that. Now, we don't know for sure who the fourth person was. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Many scholars would say it was probably Jesus incarnate. Before he came to our earth, this was him um, coming down and being there with them. Maybe. Maybe it was an angel. We're not told. But one way or the other, God sent His presence in the form of one of these to be with them. To be with them. And God is with you. He is with me no matter where we go and no matter what we face. Isaiah chapter 41. I love this. There's so many references to this kind of concept. Let me just share with you a couple. In Isaiah 41, we read, don't be afraid. God says this. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Jesus said some of the very last words that he spoke when he was on this earth in Matthew 28. He said, and lo, I am with you. I am with you even to the very end of the age. I am with you. Psalm 23. Um, Chad preached a wonderful funeral sermon yesterday for uh, uh, fairly young person who passed away, a, a very emotional, difficult time, and he quoted from Psalm 23. We need to understand it's not just a funeral passage, it is for life as well. When we read this and when we quote it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, say it with me, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us. Never will He leave us. Never will He forsake us. He is with us. There are lots of unknowns about the things that are happening in our world right now, as Kim shared as she led us into that last song that we sang. Um, personally, I'm not afraid, not because I f believe that there's no chance I'm going to get it. I suppose it's possible. And not because I hear that the, you know, the mortality rate is this or that or whatever, and therefore my chances are pretty good. I, it's, those things are part of my thoughts a little bit here and there, but mostly I'm not afraid because I know who's ultimately in charge. And as Kim quoted her father to say in reference to triple bypass surgery that he's scheduled to have this week now, knowing that he may or may not wake up from that, as her dad quoted the Apostle Paul, I agree completely when the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. No matter what comes in my future, I know that I am with the Lord. I'm not expecting to die of this at all. Not at all. I don't think many of us will. But even if we do, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It is better to be with the Lord. A thousand years here on this earth can't compare to one day, one moment with Jesus in heaven. 
So we don't have anything to fear. And therefore, I trust him because I know he is with me. He is with me. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. That's 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Always remember who is with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, God tells us in Hebrews and other places. As he was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fire, he is with each of us on this earth. Those who have surrendered their life to him, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had nothing to fear and stood before a a fiery furnace, knowing that they might be about to die, they stood with confidence because of who God Almighty is. And we need to do the same no matter what befalls us, what comes to us in the future. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in verse 18, even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. And by the way, I love how they were polite and respectful even to their enemy who was about to try and kill them. They still showed respect. It's a whole other point, but that's great. They said that, anyway, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up because they understood our final point, which is this, Romans 8, 28 is true. It is not just a Sunday school verse for children. It is for all of us. God's Word tells us, this is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, God's Word tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The point, if you're filling in the blank, would be this, always remember that God makes all things work together for good. For those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So the question then becomes, am I called? Do I love Him? Have I surrendered my life to Him? I, I would guess a majority, maybe, maybe all, but maybe not all of us in the room have surrendered our life fully to the Lord and, and, and accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. As we close today and get ready to go home, I want to give everybody in the room an opportunity to do just that to just surrender everything they have to the Lord. What does it mean to who have been called according to His purpose? That phrase in Romans 8, 28 is one that I have thought about a lot. I think it's, it's to basically say those who don't ask God, will you please be on my side? It's more they are people that seek to make sure, as Abraham Lincoln suggested, that they are on God's side. I want to be that guy. I want to make sure that I say, Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I know that since you hold the future, I want to make sure I'm on your side. And wherever you take things, whatever you allow, whatever happens, we know that you're in ultimately, you're ultimately in control, and I just want to be on your side. We're going to sing a song that is awesome. I love the lyrics of this song. It's about, it's a request. The title is, Give Me Faith. And we say basically as a prayer, as we sing this song, Lord, I need you to soften my heart, to break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life. All I am, I surrender. I surrender. A lot of times you'll see some of us, myself or others, raise our hands while we're singing a song. It's for maybe a variety of reasons, but for me, the thought in my mind when I raise my hands, it is to say, Lord, I surrender. And I have to do that over and over and over. Surrender, Lord, I tend to struggle and sometimes want to put my hands down, put them in my pockets or do my own thing, be in charge of myself. Say, no, 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 no. Lord, I surrender. And I want to do that again. I want to invite you to maybe join me in that way. I'd like to ask you if you would to stand. 
We're going to sing this song together and let it be a prayer. And if you want to surrender and you want to do so right where you're at, that's wonderful. If you want to come and talk with, pray with, um, one of us, myself, one of the other elders were up here. We would love to talk and pray with you. But can we do this? Can we worship the Lord with all we've got? And I invite you, raise your hand and surrender and say, Lord, I trust you with all I've got. I surrender to you with all I am because of who you are. Would you join me in that way? Let's sing it together.